live for the first Stripe podcast back after a two-week break. But before we start the show, we're going to plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to start to buy your Magic the Gathering singles. Uh, this week, different weekly uh, sale. It's not, it's not Magic. You get 15% off all your Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh singles. So if you guys are also playing that game, then uh, make sure you check that out. Check that uh, Facebook page every week for the next weekly special. Tonight, Full House. Um, I'm back on the show as well, um, away from, from doing these uh, player interviews at Magic Fest Toronto. Full House. Got Andy, Derek, Elliot, and John in the house with uh, lots of stories. And uh, let's just get right to them, and we'll talk about some recent YC announcement and our first take on how we feel about them. But let's go straight to Friday, where uh, we've been talking about how the Mythic Championship qualifiers are, are very, a very good idea for you to play, and that if you just fly to a Magic Fest, you should consider playing the one on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Andy, you decided to play the one on Friday. Modern played the deck you've been touting, so you, you backed up your word. Is it Phoenix? And you may top it. Uh, so tell us quickly about the tournament itself. Uh, so it was a smaller uh, PTQ for one of these events. I think it was only 160, 150 players. So I uh, easily wound up 4-0 with this busted Is a Phoenix deck. And then I was lucky enough to draw into the top eight. And then uh, I, I don't even remember really what I played. I think everyone was just uh, at such a horrible playing field compared to my deck. And then in the first round of top eight, I uh, played against Jeskai Control. And I just remember winning game one when it felt like they didn't do anything. And then game two, I spell pierced them and took the absolute life away from my opponent. They couldn't believe that I had such a card in my deck after not playing anything for like three turns. And so I spell pierced them and then I 16 to them. No. I 16 them the turn after they tapped out for a Teferi. And uh, then they died very easily after that. And then I was dispatched by John Stern in top four where uh, I think if a couple things break my way, I win that both those games pretty, pretty handily. If I just draw a little bit better, but alas, I did not. And I, I lost a two Oh to John Stern, but obviously a worthy opponent to lose to. And uh, it at least helped me solidify that I was a hundred percent just going to play that at the GP. Not that I was really considering anything else, but it gave me some good ideas of what I would want to change for my list and what I felt like was important. Uh, for the GP. Uh, the, the top eight ended up being a variety of decks as well. Uh, John Mono Green Tron uh, played against uh, beat Hardened Scales in the finals. Uh, I think uh, it, it was fun to sweat that match with, with, I mean, Elliot wasn't there for the finals, but for the top four match, it was fun to sweat that. Elliot decided to play Burn. Burn, uh, it, it seems that every pilot uh, of Visit Phoenix uh, that I talked to say uh, it's, it's one of the decks that they would dislike to face the most, but Elliot, uh, your result at the same qualifier was rather poor, right? Yeah, so I played Burn, and I, I wasn't lucky enough to play against Is it Phoenix. I kept on playing against people who had main deck life gain spells, and the first time a creature I controlled got Lightning Helix, or my Dredge opponent hit a Creeping Chill, it felt like I was just completely disqualified from the game and unable to win. Uh, so I had a, I had a pretty disappointing result i didn't even win any packs so i i scrambled that night to to assemble an is it phoenix deck uh shout out to the people who helped me build it and so i i audible to that you audible to that uh and you ended up going six three on day day one uh, of the main event whereas andy had a blazing start uh andy like again you're just you're just crushing your record with this deck is is exceptional yeah i started eight oh and then lost to a friend of the podcast, Marcus Tebow, for uh, for for Nino. And honestly, his draw was one of the best draws I've ever seen a Tron deck do. It was just obviously he kept a very good hand, but it was just all naturals that if he didn't draw, he went turn three Karn, turn four Ugin, turn five Worldbreaker, turn six Ulamog. And if any of those cards are different, I win. I could beat any of them except the <laughs> except the Ulamog at the end. So. <clears throat> and like that that also says that I drew very well, but like one of my best draws, I couldn't <laughs> believe I lost. And uh then kind of there I won two in a row on day two and started to 
crap the bed from there on out. <laughs> you, think, you think it was lack lack of uh, good draws, or, or did you face poor matchup? Well, what's the Tron matchup? It's close overall, in, in your opinion? I would say the Tron matchup is about just a complete coin flip. Like, you're very fast, but they can go over the top of you. You have a bit of reach, and sometimes they can get out of your reach. So it's just a very close matchup. It's just very close. And, oh yeah, day two, you fizzled out, uh, whereas uh, Elliot, you decided to play a Mythic Qualifier um, on, on Sunday, and you top-aided, so, so backing Is It Phoenix has to be one of the best decks. Yeah, so I was, when I was 6-3 in the main event, I figured, you know, to have a good result from there, I needed to, like, 5-0 or 5-1 or something like that, so I, I figured I might as well test my luck in the PTQ if I needed to win five matches. Uh, and I strung it together. Um, I think I played, you know, a few good matchups on the way there and, and got lucky against Ad Nauseam to in my win and in, but uh, ended up falling to the four-color word deck in the top eight. It's definitely, like, the weak point of these at Phoenix deck because it just has such a trouble such a huge trouble against both in Staring Bridge and Chalice of the Void out of the Word deck. Um, I kind of talked on Twitter a bit with some people who were posting their thoughts after the tournament and just think, you know, maybe if, if Word is a big contender going forward, you have to be playing something like a Shatter Storm or, or maybe even a, like a pile of Ancient Grudges, that type effect, uh, in order to beat it. Maybe even Crows and Grip, just because, man, that matchup's rough. But, uh, like, I, I, I mean, I played very few matches with is it phoenix before the tournament kind of just relied on on talking to andy having watched him play and man that deck's powerful i did a lot of a lot of six power on turn two a lot of you know flipping a a thing in the ice on turn three and bringing some phoenixes back it's just really incredible the first time i cast a gut shot on a noble hierarch i i was sold (laughs) and friend of both years uh andy's best friend kale thompson former Nationals champion, went all the way with top eight with the same deck. And uh, it was interesting to see. I, I was sweating in top eight. He, he ended up winning against a turns deck that uh, I think extracted his Phoenix. Um, but every, every time they got extracted, you could see, like, Kale's body language. He's just like... And, like Kale, in, it, Kale frowns even more when, uh, when they get extracted. <laughs> yeah. Um, top Was it top four? Top four against the eventual winner. Uh, it was like game three. He already has a Phoenix in hand. He, I think the end of turn, Thought Scours, two more Phoenixes, and then it's like the guy's like surgical extraction and uh, the guy cheering for the winner, Matt Michael Rapp, they were, they were all like, oh, in the back, going nuts, uh, while Kale's like, oh, and then uh, ended up losing. Uh, so it's interesting you, you mentioned uh, the, the word deck, of course. Uh, that ended up uh, finishing second. And uh, it was one of the, it was the only loss of, uh, for, for Michael Rapp, the winner who was on Grix's Death Shadow. And what I think about the word deck is just, and, and how we always talk about how modern is a, a, a matchup thing. Like it, it beats, is it Phoenix? Uh, like you said, Elliot. And, and then when it played against Andrew Novarai in, in the top four, Escape Shift, uh, when you have like a main deck Witchbane Orb that uh, Andrew could not answer. That just felt like horrible. I, I don't know, post-sideboard, some people think it's, it's pretty good if you're bringing in Ancient Grudges and other artifact removal, but uh, Jackson uh, Flanagan, was it, Eddie? Ended up blocking Andrew. I, I felt pretty early. It, it felt like he just locked him, and that was game. And so, um, do you know what that prison deck actually loses to? Uh, it loses to, to like, counter spells. It basically can't be. Yeah. Put the command on Shatterstorm. Two cards. So people even play that? <laughs> I mean, the, the insane people that are still playing Jeskai obviously play those cards. I mean, it, I don't think it's good against Death Shadow, and I don't know how good it is against Tron when Tron has a like average or above average draw. The, the matchup against Tron is actually pretty good for War here between Chalice One, which is very good. Uh, goes quarter and uh, what's it what's it called? Uh, Crucible of the Worlds and uh, various pit and needle and uh, spyglass effects. Um, it's actually hard for Tron to get uh, get online and get going. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't think about that. I just thought about like the lock pieces. Like if you resolve a Karn before they resolve, but that's interesting. I didn't think about that. I think the word deck is very powerful. 
I watched some of it play, but I definitely think it's 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 weak to Shadow, which has a, a quick clock and interaction. Like uh, Shadow is one of KCI's worst matchups for that exact reason. They just had a main deck hate against, like it went with their game plan. It wasn't even main deck hate. Like that's just what they're trying to do. So I'm not surprised that that Shadow player beat them in the finals. It, yeah, yeah. In the final, the the opponent was was afraid. Jackson, even though he beat him in the Swiss. Uh, from the conversation before the match, just hearing him uh, talk with his friends, like he wasn't uh, especially confident in that matchup. Uh, go ahead, Elliot. Well, I was just going to mention that uh, part of I think part of the reason that the Death Shadow matchup might not be as bad for Were as it as Death Shadow beat up on KCI is just the fact that if you if you manage to land a Chalice on one, that's going to shut down a huge portion of the Death Shadow deck, and people tend to be moving away from Colgan's command from what I've seen even when KCI was a big deck. So, you know, it, it, it's possible you can kind of just get a free win that way, maybe even turn one on the play with a, a combination of Tormod scripts and uh, stuff like that. Uh, deck also plays Mistress Bobble. You, you can actually get a Mox Opal online on turn one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, shout-outs to Jackson. He's, he, I know him pretty well. He's from, you know, sort of close to Kingston. I, I don't even want to say like strong up and coming player because I think this is going to be like his third or fourth pro tour, uh, and he's pretty young. So shout out to him coming second. Yeah, I think it's his fourth pro tour, and he's 19 years old. He's very very good. All right, I, I've been I've been waiting to hear names like that. Um, I mean, tired of just saying Edgar Edgar all the time. So Jackson, 19 year old kid, uh, look forward to seeing what he does uh, next. Uh, John. Is were something you would play since you, you play all these funky decks, or is that not in your wheelhouse? Look, I, I, I play a lot of combo, but, you know, if the deck's powerful enough, I'm willing to learn anything. Um, stylistically, I, I, think, um, I think Prison's something that I might want to play if it's strong enough here, and I, I think four-color war really is um, where you want to be. Um, I, I've always, like, looked at it at a macro level, and I've said that... Um, uh, the best ensnaring bridge shell or the best chalice of the void shell is going to be in a very good spot right now. And, you know, I've looked at Sun and Moon, I've looked at uh, the Mono Red Prison, and I've looked at this like worst shell. And I think it's very well positioned right now. But I, I think that you have to, I have to stress that it's probably not stylistically for everyone. Not everyone's going to want to win by, you know, a um, million people with the Ipni Rivulet of Sadness. Um, eight times in a row or something like that so but uh you know it's strong enough uh i'll definitely definitely consider it if i think it's like far on the way the best card but you know it does lose to a singular card shatter storm which i don't think is hard for um hard for decks you know make the change up so i, I don't know i actually spoke to jackson after the tournament and and kind of mentioned what i was thinking about Shatterstorm, and he said that with the word deck being able to board in psi maverick thought or yeah, Psy Master Thopter, sorry. Um, it just has the potential to kill relatively fast in post-war games. Um, and, you know, when I played against in the top eight of the PTQ, I, you know, I left in my Lightning Axe and left in my Flame Slash, but, you know, between Chalice on one and the Psy, even if I had a card like Shatterstorm in my deck, it just it was not going to be fast enough. I think they killed me on, like, turn nine, which, you know, for a prison deck's, like, very quick. So, you know, with the Chalice shutting off my cantrips, it's not like Shatterstorm was reasonable for me to have. Um, so he might be onto something there. You know, someone mentioned Crows and Grip. Uh, I don't know if that's the best way to fight it, since they often have multiple permanents that you direly need to get rid of, but I mean, not, not to knock Shatterstorm. I think it's definitely the best option. Whether it's lights out to the, for the deck, I don't think so. That's, that's a fair point there, Elliot, and I, I do think, like, Psy is not nearly as good here as it was in KCI cycle a bunch of cards and you know act as an engine as well um but yeah you know your, your point is definitely uh valid I, I also know that they run various tesserets and i know for lantern um uh, tong used to be the abysmal matchup and the way they try to win was get the get a really fast tesseret going and you know just try to beat a shadows from like rushing down like on like four four or five with box opals so um, that, that's also a consideration, and uh, yeah, maybe it's not as easy in theory to rush down uh, the shadow storm like that. 
All right, let's go. Let's go to your weekend, Derek. Uh, explain all the chainmail uh, images of you online that people can find, and people were loving. Um, so uh, I'm in a I'm in like a group hangout uh, Google chat with Edgar and Dilks and some of the local like Toronto, Burlington, Hamilton area guys, um, and they're friends with uh, with you may have seen them the third in their SCG events, Daryl Ayers. Daryl was staying at uh, Edgar's for the weekend and we were watching Edgar play a match of Amulet on Google Hangouts and he turns off screen sharing and shows Daryl sitting in the background of his computer room wearing this chainmail with a chainmail hat just for no reason, just like hanging out. We're all like, what's going on? Uh, and somebody asked him how much it would cost him to wear it all weekend. He said, I probably wouldn't wear it. It's pretty heavy and uncomfortable. So I said in the background, oh, I'll wear it. And somebody else responded, we're not going to pay you money for something that you would probably already do. There's no reason for us to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. A couple of minutes goes by and Daryl goes, actually, what is the cost? I'm like, oh, I don't know, $200? He's like, okay, okay, okay. You have to wear it the entire time you're in the convention hall. Um, both days, you can take it off when you leave, like at dinner or whatever. Um, if you manage to renege on our agreement you can and take off the vest, you have to only wear the hat, but we'll pay for your dinner. I'm like, okay, sounds good, sounds good. And then all of a sudden, he just starts asking people who wants to pitch $20. So eventually, they just got 10 people to pitch $20, and I was now wearing a chainmail all weekend for $200. Um, as for the event, I played Burn. And I wasn't fortunate enough to be able to play in the PTQ on the Friday because I'm fortunate enough to always already be huge for the Pro Tour, uh, humble brag. Uh, so I, I registered Burn for the main event. Uh, and unlike Elliot, I did not learn my lesson like he did and proceeded to get crushed by, by decks that should have beat me because that's what they're designed to do. I played against humans with two Oriok champions and play one game. I played against Dredge where they revealed a bunch of crippling chills and I felt like I couldn't win. And then I lost against Jund where there's like a two or three turn window where if I drew any spell, I won the game. But in burn fashion, you drew one too many lands and you just lose. So my tournament did not go well. Uh, my weekend went great. Uh, the great thing about Magic the Gathering events is more often than not, they're more about the gathering and not much about the magic. Uh, after after dinner events is, or after event dinners are always nice, and uh, it's always nice to see other friends do well um, in top eights and top sixteens and top thirty twos. So uh, the, overall, the weekend was well. I, I got to wear some sweet chainmail and I made some decent money out of it. Uh, although I am I am very washed when it comes to paper magic only can win online events, it seems. <laughs> uh, Burn didn't... I, I think some people were commenting Burn was a, a good part of the field in the qualifier, and I think... I imagine Burn was quite uh, present in the tournament itself, but none of it ended up making top eight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, I think Burn got better, but Burn is still Burn. It like, didn't get enough better. I um I, I when I when I was trying to prepare for this event, I really wanted to stay away from the, the modern problem that is good matchup, bad matchup. And I was like, oh, burn is just burn. It doesn't care what it's playing against. No, that is the exact opposite. Burn cares so much more than like almost any other deck in the format. Um and I was just I just picked the wrong deck. Like I should have played I should have played Tron. Like I should have played Phoenix. I literally could have played any other deck and just had probably had a better result. But eh. yeah, I think like trying, you just like you know, you just try to assemble and cast. <laughs> I think I I think the burn hit a pretty good um power power uh, level upgrade with the skewer and the uh, light up the stage. But like my opinion is that this power level is never going to be broken enough be the definitive best deck and it's easily hateable so it's always just going to be a tier one fun police but nothing more like it's never going to be a tier zero deck and you know like i've seen more lane sanctities and like uh kitchen things and even like 
rest for the weary and feed the clan and all that. So that's um, people came prepared, I would think. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point in that burn will never be broken when there are a lot of decks in modern doing very broken things and you're choosing to cast lightning bolt. And I don't think I'd ever come to a, a, a point in my career where casting lightning bolt is not good enough. But I think casting lightning bolt is usually not good enough. You have to be doing something else, whether it be turn three Karn or four Phoenix at your dome or flip thing in the ice, wrath your board, attack you for seven. Uh, maybe it's ensnaring bridge. You can't attack. We're going to play this game where I mill you out for a couple turns. Maybe it's, I have a, a one man and nine, nine. You can't cast any spells sort of thing. Right. I don't, I don't think burn is where it's at. Oh, after the tournament, talking to some people, um, they commented on the lack of pros up top, and and noticeably there there weren't any players that I really noticed. That not, not that many, not more than maybe, I mean, probably even less than a handful that I would consider like pros that I would recognize from like let's say the SCG circuit or or knowing from the pro tour or previous GP performances. We had Lucas Siao as like the biggest known name. In the top eight, local Toronto hero that seems to always do well, uh, even though he's been uh, busier than ever this year with his, uh, I think not with his personal life and career life. I think he made a post and, and he hasn't been jamming as hard as he has, but again, he's been able to perform well once again this past weekend. And people have on Twitter commented on the, on the lack of pros that uh, participated in this event. And then some people think, you know, Magic Fest isn't really worth going to. Marcus Thibault had, had nothing to gain outside of cash for this tournament. Um, so after this tournament, because obviously it's local to you guys, it's we're all sort of close to Toronto, it made sense for us to go. Uh, but what, what do you think about Magic Fest as a whole? Uh, Andy, do you, do you share these views that some of these people do that they, they are less likely to go to them? Um, <clears throat> so like, if trying to think if i'm less likely to go probably not to be honest i uh kind of have the the competitive drive again to try and do as well as i can i feel like stacking up these near misses have kind of made me want to try to commit to the game a little bit more again and hopefully qualify and i'm really trying to try and take every shot i can to qualify for london because i got two of my best friends qualified for this pro tour and it, it's like a dream of mine to play on a pro tour with them so we're gonna going to grind even harder so for me it's just like a lot of it's about the grind to qualify for a pro tour and i don't like pro points have not really mattered to me my whole magic life i'll be honest they've never actually done anything for me which is unfortunate because that means i haven't done that well but i think uh i'm still going to go to these things and i think a lot of other people are as well i'm considering going to uh well i'm going to magic fest cleveland and i'm considering just ptqing the whole time and not playing the gp I think we talked about that as the better play. Um, the PTQs are uh, s- sort of soft, and uh, going five zero is not that hard. <laughs> do you do you know if these PTQs are for London still? Uh, no, I don't. Still- <laughs> um, yeah, I think the cutoff. Um, let me find it. Sorry, uh, they did post a list on uh, when the cutoff and. Cut off is when the Grand Prix, which Grand Prix are um, feeding. I know this is like a a not problem, but like not being able to play PTQs is like a big part of my competitive. Like that's a big part of my competitive like filler when we're not playing GPs. So like, I find myself not having a not not being able to do a lot of competitive things, not being able to play PTQs. But it's probably just like a personal problem. Not something I should complain. Cleveland is for London. Okay. LA posted in group chat. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Andy, did you feel like to about the softness? Did you think the main event was also softer due to less pros? Because, I mean, I looked at the field. I'm like, Andy could beat any of these guys easily. Aw. You're so sweet, Car. I, uh, I don't know, like maybe. I guess like I didn't play against uh any pros until almost the last round. Like I played against a former silver pro Kale Thompson, but I dispatched him with ease before his uh, top eight. <laughs> and then uh, I played against Andrew Ellenbogen in the last round and he uh he spanked me. He spanked me with a deck that I thought I would absolutely crush. 
he was playing Affinity and I was playing Arclight Phoenix. Friend, Frenzied Affinity, apparently, it's called, uh, yeah. it's called. It sure was, and that card absolutely demolished me. Uh, Jarvis, you, I think he, he had a great day one because he made day two, but I, I guess he also ended up fizzling out towards the end. But yeah, those two are, got, are the ones that come to mind, people that I recognize that came up uh, for Toronto. Um, but De- like Derek, I don't think it changes his thing. Going to be more online. Actually, how's, how's the mythic grinding if you're doing that? I have not been. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've been having this issue with Arena where uh, you like buy into a deck, and there are certain decks that are just not good on Arena. And I think Saltai is one of them. Um, and I just don't have the like card stock, like the the rare cards or the mythic cards to like trade into another deck. And because there's no secondary market, I can't just like ship my like 40 mythic card Saltai deck into something else. So like I- I'm just pretty far removed from grinding on Arena because I actually think it's not worth the time, simply because the end goal is almost unattainable and you sort of like get lost in the chaos of trying to figure out um what works best and i just don't want to invest any more money into it it's it's not what i want to do um that's probably the easy answer and definitely something i could do but it's not what i want to do so uh could you elaborate uh unless you said it already uh why salta is not good online it's there, there's there's this large gap in in players that are playing Magic Arena that are are newer players and seasoned players. So I think that because there's a large gap in between those two groups, that um, you're gonna more than likely run into aggro decks or run into people who are just copying decks that they see on the internet. So if we look at the last couple. Like I, the last week in general, Alexander Hain has gotten to number one with Mono Blue. The game podcast has talked about Mono Blue on their podcast, and Mono Blue won the SCG, uh, one of the SCGs. Um, Blue White, the aggro deck that Andrew Ellenbogen and the Michigan guys have been tweeting and talking about, has also been very popular and struck, uh, stuck up in co- conversation a lot more. So when you have these people talking about these decks and tuning them, you're going to have a more refined aggro deck. It's very hard to play a mid-range deck in a field like this because that deck has to be tuned very specifically to beat the metagame. And you just can't really do that when, A, I don't think the deck is as powerful as a lot of people are, and B, um, you're going to have really skewed metas because a lot of newer players are just going to play these aggro decks, whether they're good or not. So, like... I think naturally the Saltai deck is already behind given the circumstance. I also think those aren't great matchups. So like playing, playing a mid-range deck on, on, on arena is exceptionally worse than it would be on Moto. Um, Cause less people are probably going to play aggro in my opinion. So, and, and like there's best of one with, with, uh, with Nexus of fate, it's really hard for a mid-range to beat anything in best of one. So you're basically secluded to playing best of three. And then if you're playing best of three, like you can play anything random up until you get to mythic. And then once you get to mythic, you're probably playing a lot of aggro. So hmm. to keep, to keep with standard, John, you played a tournament and you also got your heart broken. Um, and, and he got his heart broken a few times, Elliot as well. And then you as well, all these near misses. Uh, tell us uh, what you, what tournament did you play and then what happened? So I was away uh, out of country for three weeks, came back, knew I had a RPTQ to uh, work towards, which is actually this weekend in uh, Seattle. Uh, haven't played um, Gil's uh, Ramka Legion standard, like, period. So naturally, I'm just going to pick something, net deck something that's uh, aggressive and proactive. Um, uh, watching Marcus uh, skewer people with uh, white aggro in Vegas, I naturally was... Um, um, Kind, kind of uh, attracted towards that. So I played uh, White Blue Weenies in the Magic Online uh, PTQ. Started great. Um, my first uh, seven, seven matches of Blue, uh, uh, blue White Aggro. Um, I thought, you know, even if I lose twice, I probably should have enough uh, 
a good tie break, uh, good tie break breakers and uh, make it you know, pop eight. Proceeded to get uh, skewered by uh, red aggro splashing green, and then lost the die roll and the uh, didn't have the uh, best draws against the mirror. And you know, I, I finished seven two. I thought, you know, hey, w I was one of the two uh, last uh, seven O's. I should be fine for the tie break. And of course, two seven twos made the uh, top eight, and of course, I was the ninth place uh, finisher. So a bit disappointing, um, but all in all, it, it was just um, a, tr a dry run for the RPTQ, and I never played a game with the white weenie deck, so uh, could have been worse, I guess. So, what were your thoughts heading into the RPTQ? I think it's in a pretty good spot here, um, especially given that, you know, I, I expect the Seattle RPTQ crowd to be very uh, internet savvy and net decky, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be picking up, uh, you know, Esper, and especially Blue, now that Star City and Alexander Haynes really put that um, in the spotlight. Um, I'm, I'm honestly still not sure if the Blue Splash is worth it, but I'm just, I just can't get the uh, control decks and the reclamation decks out of my mind. And uh, so I think I'm going to be playing the uh, still be playing the white white weenies deck with the blue splash. I might tech the deck a bit more to um, expect a bit more mirrors and um, uh, mirror and the mono blue matchup, which means um, I might be playing more than two one or two uh, deputy of detention. But otherwise, I'm just probably going to be playing the stock uh, white white weenies uh, list, except uh, no sub sub one century because I think the card is horrible. Um, I feel like there's a herd mentality of everyone saying that, yeah, Subhorn is an auto-include, and every time I played, I played it in my testing, um, it's way too slow. It's not going to attack before turn four, and it's not doing what I want. So I'm going to swap uh, sub Subhorn sentries out for uh, Healer Socks. Uh, London is... The, so it's, it's for London, right? And uh, your yeah. RPTQ is... Uh, when, when is yours? The Montreal one is actually this weekend. Oh, it's this weekend. Oh, it's also this weekend. Okay. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I think you talked to me last week. But were you going to have time to make uh, some sort of guide? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do. Um, for those who don't know, I'm very meticulous about my tournament prep. I map out all my sideboards. I map. I map out all the um, matchups, etc. So um, I, I will uh, bring something up for the uh, first Strike Nation here. Okay, the, the nation knows that you are extremely meticulous, <laughs> and I know, having had to compile your guides. Um, Elliot, are, are you going to be playing the LCQ? Man, I have, I have to make sure you're qualified for Cleveland, and so you could play this Saturday. Yeah, I'm playing the RPTQ. I qualified oh. from the last one. Um, I'm, I think I have it nailed down to two decks. I'm either going to play Mono Blue or Saltai, uh, and I don't I don't necessarily know what's going to drag me towards either decision. Uh, I think that Mono Blue is like very powerful, and I'm not sure if uh, people will have arrived at the correct way to beat it. Uh, on the other hand, Saltai is a deck that's like very much my style, and I think it has a, a like a serviceable matchup against Mono Blue, and is pretty good against Mono White, which is sort of like the default answer to Mono Blue. Uh, so those are my two options going in, and I'll probably decide at like. 11 o'clock Saturday night. So uh, <laughs> going to be preparing a lot over the next few days and fingers crossed I choose right. All right. Uh, Andy, which one did you say you were going to play to try to get to London? I believe I'm playing one on Magic Online March 10th. Wow. Aren't the... Um, I've never played in the Magic Online RPT, uh, P RPTQs, but isn't there like a lot of people and generally... I was just thinking, like, isn't the Magic Online... PTQ is generally lower EV than paper ones. Oh yeah, but like if you consider the EV of traveling, then you could you could argue that it's similar. Like I could I could potentially maybe try and find a way to Montreal this weekend, but uh, it's looking unlikely because I'm not sure what I would want to play, and I had have not prepped as much with consideration that I'm just gonna, I can wait till after the pro tour to decide what I'm going to play. So I'm just going to do that. Just going to kind of take it, uh, take it a little seriously and just do it on Magic Online, even though I think the paper events are much uh, softer. Hmm. I think, uh, I think, I think uh, it'll be okay. You know, I'd be pretty curious to, uh, even though he's qualified, but I'd be curious to hear what, the, what our um, standard 
all-star uh, Derek would play and uh, play this weekend if we were playing? Uh, that's, that's like really difficult. I think that mono blue is the deck to beat right now. And if you're not playing that, you better have a really good reason not to play it. So to me, that would probably be white blue aggro or saltime mid range or sorry, Esper mid range. Um, but like you, you'd probably have to cut the, the two drops, the, the ones that when they make a token, they make a token when you play a multicolor spell just for removal. Um, so you put yourself in a better position or even thought erasure, just so you can interact with them more game one. But to me, like the mono blue deck is just in a very good position right now. And too many, too many decks or too many people had adjusted their, their deck building to be the salt high deck. So we have to like sort of scale back and think about this, uh, how to beat the mono blue deck while still trying to beat the salt high deck because people will still be playing that. So, so I think like if you're not playing mono blue play deck to beat it. And whether that be like have a reactive main board for mono blue and then sideboard into a more mid rangey game. Um, or like do the opposite, have a mid-rangey game, game one, hope to dodge mono blue, and then sideboard into like a more defensive or aggressive sideboard plan. Um, and just do that accordingly. That just sounds like white weenies or is it um, personally? Or Saltai that's tuned. Yeah, uh, I definitely think like even if you look at the last season, that's what is it Phoenix was. You had um, you had the mono red deck early. You had the green black deck that naturally beat the mono red deck because of wild growth walkers. And then there was like a two or three week period where this, this is it Phoenix deck and standard just kind of ran rampant. Um, and then you had this natural progression of this mono white deck crushing it just in time for the pro tour to happen. And it put like six copies in top eight. And I think that's what you're sort of seeing now. And it, it's, I, I was having this discussion with some people the other day. I think there's this huge trend with um, the general hive mind of people um, and the internet age we have of deck sharing um, that people like you can predict meta games based on what top tier players playing what and who's producing sideboard guides. Um, to me, I, I was talking to people last weekend before the FCG and I said, you better prepare for mono blue because there's going to be mono blue everywhere. Payne and the game podcast are talking about it at this moment. It's going to be everywhere. And I think it, that that's going to keep happening. Um, and I think the blue white deck's going to tick up in popularity also. Um, so to me, like Sultai isn't gone, but it's just not being tuned by somebody with a big name. So. Yeah. We're waiting for you to tune it. <laughs> I. I'm so far removed from like trying to play standard right now. I just not qualified for the pro tour. Don't have a reason to play PTQs. Uh, I don't know the mox format. They moved it back six weeks. Um, just, just waiting for them to start announcing things, you know, like we're, we're kind of in this, this weird gray area where you don't know what you should be doing as a competitive <laughs> player. So well, we don't even know if uh, PT London's standard or not. Right. We, we know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get straight to some, some announcements. Uh, well, this was one of the bigger ones. Uh, announcing pre-release Grand Prix at Magic Fest London. So I'm just reading their uh, CFB events post on Reddit. We're thrilled to announce the very first Grand Prix on a pre-release weekend featuring War of the Spark at Magic Fest London. This is an unprecedented an extraordinary event leading to tons of questions, which we have tried to cover here. The Magic Fest London Grand Prix is going to be very unique to give you the best chance to both play with hashtag MTG war early and qualify for day two of the Grand Prix. We are running four flights to qualify for day two. There are two flights on Friday and two flights on Saturday. Each flight is seven rounds and every player with 18 points or better continues to on to a combined day two on Sunday. Okay. Um, and there's more, uh, which you guys can go on Reddit to check out. But initial reaction was, uh, the negative reaction was from stores. Um, 
that have stores in, in London that uh, rely on having pre-release and people to co- go to their store. And now this event will obviously take over and everyone who originally planned to play a pre-release at their local store will obviously, uh, most of them will make the trip there, just like how in Toronto, likely most stores were pretty, at least if they were specifically popular for Magic, were likely sort of dead compared to usual times this past weekend. Um, I don't know if you have... If you guys have any takes on this, I'm going to start with John just because. Just because. I think it's kind of cool to see a, a limited event uh, as a pre-release event, you know. And um, I realize that the one of the negative uh, the negative points is that it does take away from the local uh, the local pre-release. And I was going to say like it was also going to take away from like the pro-release players all over the world if they have to choose between coverage and playing their pro-release. But then I realized that they don't do coverage anymore, so that's not a problem. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's cool, but like, I know there are ramifications beyond that. And as usual, the communication and the timely, timeliness of the communication um, do leave something to be desired, which has been an ongoing theme for a while. So, uh, yeah, I I think it's cool, but I, I don't think I personally understand like all the all, all the dominoes that's gonna fall as a result of this. Hey, Andy, what about you? Do you think it's cool to have a pre-release GP? Uh, initial reaction was, yeah, this is hella cool. This is pretty uh, interesting. We don't we've never really seen this kind of thing before from uh, from my experience. Maybe it happened a long time ago before my time in magic, but uh, I I've never seen anything like this. And I think that that in itself is awesome. But I, I uh, then started to see some of the Twitter complaints about like the surrounding community in London and how this could really affect the LGS's pre-releases in like a wide area around London. And that obviously sucks. And I'm not sure how to, uh, how to have both uh, happen and be okay with it. Maybe, maybe someone else has a better idea than I do, but I think the idea of a, a grand pre pre-release is pretty cool and I like it. But once again, there are consequences that we don't really know the full ramifications of them yet. Quickly scrolling through Reddit. There's another thread to all those upset with magic fest London on pre-release weekend. Go support your LGS instead. Channel Fireball exists to make money and will happily host GPs on pre-release weekend. One, at the expense of your LGS, and two, and as long as they keep making money, please take a stand and support your LGS for pre-release and send a message that pre-release GPs should not be a thing. Pretty sure I would still go to the GP. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it Watsy that Are we checking the messenger here? Oh. Um, Man, John, you keep cutting in and out a bit, but we can make up what you said. Um, I don't know if it's WotC or CFB that makes this decision or if, if it's a joint thing at all. I don't know if the guys know more than I do. Uh, maybe Elliot has some insider info, but I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I would assume it's Wizards, but I don't, I don't know anything. Derek, what, what's this idea? What do, you, do you, what do you think about this idea about pre-release GP? I think... Um... I think, well, I have, I have three things, I guess. Um, wow. First of all, I think this is cool. I think this is really neat. Uh, it's sad that it has to come at the expense of other pre-releases, in theory. Like, th- this hasn't happened for literal, like, I want to say 15 years, that, like, I've known about, like, competitive GPs. Like, I've been playing GPs for almost 10 years now, and I didn't hear about this until, like, when David Rudin, Gabe saying we're playing competitively. Like, that's the last time I heard about these. Um, if that's exactly what they were, I don't even know. Um, the other thing is, like, this is all just, like, people being afraid or, or, like, really concerned, right? Like, I don't think GPs really steal that many people away from, like, at a GP, I don't know if many people, if they ha- if it was, like, an ultimatum, like, go to your local game store or go to the GP for one weekend. Like, I don't know if it would matter that much. Like most people would probably just go to their game store. Right. And to add to this point, my second point is I think this really shows 
what Wizards and Channel Fireball are trying to do here, and that's separate the casual crowd from the competitive crowd by doing this and trying, like, this is something that probably should have been happening years ago. And I think even before uh, Magic really blew up, this is what was happening. Um, when Brian Kibler won his GP in Toronto, I think it was 15, 20 years, some some long time ago, there's a, there was less people in that GP than we had in our largest PTQ in Toronto, which was around 415 people. So that means that people who are only going to the GP to win were probably playing this GP, right? Like obviously Magic was much smaller, but not like 400 people in the GTA size, right? Like Magic's always been pretty big in this area. I think people were just only going to it because they thought they could win. Whereas you go to a GP now and everybody's just in it. You talk to your round five opponent, they're like, oh yeah, it was local to me and I don't play Magic in competitive sense that much. I'm just here to have fun. At the GP on the weekend, I talked to at least three or four people and they didn't know if they were going to make day two. They didn't have plans for making day two. They were just there to have fun and maybe make day two. To me, that's that's insane. I think those are the people that like shouldn't be in the GP, so to speak, right? They should be playing pre-release at their local shop. I think there's a there's a a dissonance, I guess, between like where those people should be playing and where they are playing. And I think this is a this is the first step in that separation. Um, my third point I want to make is that I think the way Channel Fireball executed this announcement was awful. Like, this is so disgustingly awful. It's, it's blowing me away. Why would you post it on Reddit? You have a website. Why, why would you do this? You know, like, why would you not post the article of your website on Reddit and then answer questions on Reddit and your website? When people, I've had people ask me, like, where did you see this info? It's like, oh, it's on Reddit. People who don't know how to use Reddit can't find this info. People who know how to use Reddit have to sift through all these comments in order to like find this information, right? It's just like, it's, I get, I get that it's more open to people and it's easier for them to answer comments, but like maybe you should work on your communication when you're handling a multi-million dollar company and put it on your website or something, you know, it's, it's like, there, I have so many issues on that front. Um, I don't think the actual, uh, execution of the GP is going to affect um, pre-releases that much, but I, I, I can see how it could be very annoying also. Well, that, that, was, that was awesome. Um, we're, gonna, we're getting close to wrapping up the show. And I uh, just want just want John to comment on uh, one Kale Thompson, man, in the chat. I love, I love you, Kale, for chiming in. I was really cheering for you in what cheered for you in top eight, top four. And uh, once people started cheering over the surgical extraction, I'm like, oh, man, our boy's dead. Um, he says, Mono White is unbeatable and best of one and pretty cheap. It's not real magic, though. So I don't know if he'll do what you want it to. Hey, so... Maybe it's not, it shouldn't be mono blue. Maybe it should be mono white. Everyone should be like playing on arena and trying to grind well, through. John, John, what do you think about that? Oh, Andy? Well, the main deck is mono white. So for best of one, it's might as well take, get those blue lands out of your goddamn deck. So. <laughs> All right. Um, what, one thing, what's one thing I want? Okay. Yeah. Over. Okay. So this past weekend, you know, we got face was kind enough to, you know, Ship me to Toronto um, and uh, do sort of pseudo pseudo coverage trying to do uh, couldn't do much without like let's say the the access uh, of deck lists and uh, that that CFB had so had to do some stuff like that were outside the usual and try to make it interesting the the feedback was good on Facebook whether it be um, for, for the play for profiles that we did or the interviews that uh, my partner in crime miles uh, or Milo, as he's known online did uh, where he interviewed um, a fellow YouTuber where he interviewed um, uh, an artist and, and I interviewed Andy was one of them and other people. Um, so it, it made for interesting content that uh, people liked and also got a ton of feedback on Twitter for that. So really happy about that. And uh, if you guys want to check it out, it's all on magic.facefacegames.com. And 
I still don't really know. Um, I'm not, you know, obviously we didn't do it um, to be like, hey, Watsi, look what uh, this random guy could do on his own. Um, it was more just, just to uh, do it and see what people would like. And uh, yeah, again, I don't really know how I feel about there being coverage or not, just because the on a smaller scale, we get tons of messages and I get personal messages or emails about why we're not streaming the, the face-to-face game series. And we, we had at some point some of the Toronto ones, but honestly, they're, they're just too small. And the people that would be interested in watching are usually already at the event or uh, there's just too many other streams to compete with. It just wouldn't make sense to invest that type of money to stream this event. Maybe at some point it will be, maybe at some point, but um, it hasn't been and it, it won't be in the short term. So I do know people just want coverage and some people probably want for the sake of wanting it. It's just like people telling other people to stream, even though they, they don't want, want to watch it. They just want people to do it. But here I, I could understand it. It's, it's a different situation because there's proof of thousands of listeners tuning in at the GP. So it's a t- completely different situation where they, they already know the type of audience that they could draw. And we're just, I guess, confused as to why they wouldn't want that audience to, and, and to outsiders, it just seems like a no brainer idea to help grow the game. But maybe, maybe we just don't know all the actual costs of the setup and of the people that they had to fly in. And when you think about how many magic fests there are now in a year, if that is actually going towards something else, then I mean, that'd be fine with me. I don't know. Any, any last, last things before we get out of here? Um, I just want to say that about the coverage thing. Um, with, with Magic moving towards esports, I think this is something that was going to happen um, eventually. And I think it's, it's, it looks really stupid, but I feel like it's part of a big picture, even though it's communicated incredibly poorly. Um, I think that people should be taking up their issue with the communication and not necessarily um, the way it is uh, executed. I've been talking with Keith a lot. Uh, Keith works at the the score, the, uh, the esports score. The, well, I can't remember the actual name of it. Um, part uh, in Toronto, and he was saying that most other um, esports like they don't have that much coverage and they, this opens up more area for third parties to run things also, which brings in more sponsorships, which brings in more money for, for people to spend on the game and invest in the game. And then you'll get players wearing jerseys and have them with uh, maybe they'll be sponsored by Pepsi or Coca-Cola eventually. Right. Like wizards doing all of this cost themselves really takes away from other things that they want to be doing. Um, and it looks really stupid, but that's only because they've been doing it for so long. Um, I think give it, give it two years and it'll look much better, but I think it's more of a communications issue than a, uh, than like a execution issue. Um, like hopefully channel fire will fix it up. I don't know. I mean, they're in, they're in alpha. They, they have coverage at channelfireball.com. And, and, and I think they're slow, either slowly or they have brought back some of the people that were on, on the coverage team. I got to see uh, Corbin uh, this past weekend who, who has done coverage for Watsi in the past. And he's part of the, I assume, the official Channelfire coverage team. And he tried his best. He, he took a lot of pictures, uh, videos, uh, put them on CFB. And of, of course, the initial Twitter response for some of these troll accounts are like, you know, we don't want this crap. We want real coverage, dude. Tough crap, yeah. tough crap. I mean, like, obviously it takes time and I feel like Channel Fireball definitely got the short end of this stick and uh, if they, they, they are also, I assume, a multi-million dollar company if they had more time um, to figure out how to allocate people, allocate expenses, allocate just planning in general, to do this, it would be better. Um, I know when they originally said they were going to try to take it over, they would only do text coverage because like it, it would just cost thousands of dollars to invest in video equipment 
um, in such a short period of time and try to get it perfect. Like people are always going to complain or whatever, right? I'm sure they're doing a good job based on the circumstance, but the circumstances are obviously awful. It comes down to just communication again. And I just can't get over how much is being botched week after week after week after week. Yeah, John. Yeah, I, I think I think I agree with the. Uh, I I think Derek makes some good points here, and I'm just uh, a bit amused at the the transition. And the execution, I think, like it seemed very abrupt, and all these like freelance reporters, et cetera, like uh, Haw- Corbin Hostler being let, uh, being free and free aging, and then immediately jumping back in, it just didn't it didn't really feel smooth to me. And I, I don't know if uh, everyone saw this, but there was a Patrick Sullivan uh, Twitter uh, responding to the announcement. That's just like, hey, you know, it was pretty cool that you guys tried to hire me two months ago <laughs> to do coverage, and I'm just like thinking like what, what is going on here you know like was it this abrupt like was there any foresight and planning like i don't know what the hell is going on like what happened i uh i have i have a, a theory that has a little bit of background knowledge talking with some people in the community that they didn't understand how big arena was going to be they 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 launched it and just had no like understanding that that it was going to blow up like this. And so in my opinion, I think what happened was they got a team together. The team said you got to push this because you're going to you're going to miss it or you're, it's going to fall and they have a budget built already and they have investors and so they basically said we can't find a way to fund this in such a short amount of time. We have to launch this esports thing for 10 million dollars to try to hype up our game. Uh, do a bunch of partnerships with Twitch and work on that and, and try to start cutting costs up to other places. So we are just losing money for the first little bit. So we can still make it look good on our balance sheets. And that way in a couple of years, it'll recoup um, all the costs that we may have lost, which I don't think they will, but more importantly, they'll gain a lot more viewership on the front end from Twitch from new players playing their new game compared to like losing players on the back end, because I think the, the players that they're gaining from arena and Twitch are substantially like exponentially higher than the ones that they could be losing right now. And I think that this is a move that they, they made without putting a lot of thought into necessarily, but to me, it, it, it's one that I think has been proven in other esports that, um like this is a good move for them um for them to make money for them to uh grow their game um and as many magic players have complained i don't think many other people see it this way um so to me they're just cutting costs in small places to to do that um that's that's not it's not factual that's just my opinion based on some information i've gotten from some other people but uh that is what makes the most sense because it's obviously very rushed, right? It just doesn't make a logical sense uh, that a multi-million dollar company would just do this and not have like an exit plan or even an entrance plan. Uh, it just doesn't make sense, right? That makes sense. And if I remember correctly, the first phase of uh, Arena, people weren't receiving it very well and people were saying doom and gloom about Artifact and how Artifact was going to eat into Magic Arena and Arena had no chance. And obviously history has proven otherwise so maybe they it's really over overperformed expectations i don't know could be it i i honestly believe that they had no idea how big it was going to be i i just based on the way that moto's been handled and how they've completely overhauled all of their marketing all of their um the way they're handling just everything to do with arena, whether it be on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I, I just think they just hired a bunch of, they're just like, Oh, we're getting a bunch of feedback. Let's hire a bunch of new teams and try to blow this up as big as we can. So. Right. That does it for this show. Okay. For Randy, Derek, Elliot, and John uh, and me, we thank you for watching. We thank you for tuning in, for listening. 
Uh, it's a sports show, like the YouTube channel video, subscribe to our show on podcast. Um, go to patreon.com slash first strike. That's where we'll be releasing John's guide for model white shortly. Um, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about our RPTQ success next week and, and other news and announcement that uh, wizards is sure to make because we're still missing a lot of info. So uh, hopefully Elliot gets there uh, at his RPTQ and hopefully John gets there at his RPTQ this week and uh, hope Derek finds the love to grind again. <laughs> so we will see you next time, boys and girls. Ciao.